you remember last month when you saw the picture of a little girl from Honduras in a bright pink blouse? She was looking up in tears as a border patrol officer searched her mother who had just been detained for crossing the border uh, into the United States from Mexico. I imagine you probably saw it somewhere because the photo went viral in the press and all over the internet. That little girl became an icon of the grief and the fear experienced by refugees coming into this country. And she touched our hearts. Many people seeing that picture were moved to contribute to organizations providing assistance to detainees. And people from all across the political spectrum were protesting the administration's policy of separating families at the border. It turned out later that this, we found out this little girl wasn't actually being separated from her mother. The last we heard, they were still being held in detention together. But what I want to focus on today is the power of that image. The power of that image to move us to compassion. What was it about seeing the face of a crying toddler that moved so many of us to have compassion, not only for her, but for thousands of other refugees, migrants, and asylum seekers. The word compassion comes from the Latin, com passio, meaning to suffer with. Compassion is closely related to love because it involves caring for another person. And it's closely related to pity because it has to do with recognizing someone else's pain. But compassion carries with it the sense of active engagement, doing something. I like the definition given by British psychologist Paul Gilbert, who says that compassion is a sensitivity to suffering along with a commitment to alleviate and prevent that suffering. It's recognizing suffering and doing something about it. I can pity someone from a distance, but compassion brings me up close and personal. In today's gospel, we hear about the compassion of Jesus. His disciples in the story are tired from their missionary travels, so Jesus invites them to come away by themselves for a while and rest. But it's really hard to find a place to rest, what the Bible calls a deserted place. There are not many deserted places when Jesus is around because everyone wants to come and be with him. They demanded his attention so much that the disciples had no time even to get a bite to eat. They try to slip away in a boat to another part of the lake, but the crowds see which way the boat is going and they run around the shore and meet them. And when Jesus and the disciples get off the boat, the crowds are even bigger there on the other side. And so, as he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things and then to heal them of many diseases. His compassion led him to action, even though it meant changing his plans even though he and his disciples were tired and hungry. The people in the crowd were like sheep, and he knew he could be their shepherd. So he got to work. 
The Greek word that Mark uses for had compassion here is splagitsomai. It's a wonderful word. Literally means being moved in the intestines. It's where the Greeks thought the seat of the emotions were. We often think of it as being in the heart, but for them, it was down a little lower. It's like when we say, I had a gut-wrenching experience. That's where compassion comes from, all the way down. Splagnizomai appears 12 times in the New Testament. 10 times, including this one, it refers to the compassion of Jesus for people who need his ministry. Once it's the Good Samaritan who has compassion on the man who's been robbed and beaten and left for dead in a ditch. And the last time, it's the father who runs out to meet the prodigal son and welcome him home after all of his sinful ways. Every time, compassion leads directly to action. Whenever Jesus is moved by the sight of someone suffering, he doesn't just smile and wave and send out his thoughts and prayers. He reaches out. He extends a helping hand or a healing touch. Even if it's the Sabbath when no one is supposed to work, even if the demons are raging fierce against him, even if the religious authorities accuse him of working magic, even if the forces of empire nail him to a cross. You see, compassion has a cost. Pity has a price. Love is no luxury. When people anywhere are suffering, the compassion of Jesus is medicine for the world. So how can we become more like Jesus in his compassion? Recent psychological studies tell us that compassion, like a lot of other things, increases with practice. You get better at it when you do it more often. In one study, participants were told to envision a time when someone they knew had suffered and then practice wishing that the person suffering would be relieved. The participants in this study used a form of Buddhist mindfulness meditation to focus their compassion, imagining a person in pain and then repeating phrases like, may you be free from suffering. May you have joy and peace. And the more they made a habit of this, the more likely they were to be generous and supportive and helpful to people in real life, not just to friends and family, but to strangers and even to their enemies. Remember again that little girl in the, pink, uh, the bright pink blouse crying while her, woman, while her mom was being searched. What was it about that picture that moved so many of us to compassion? I think the compassionate response requires three steps. The first one is maybe the most obvious, but it's also one that we sometimes skip, and that is we have to see the person. We have to really see them, understand what this person is going through. We have to recognize this person isn't me, isn't just an extension of me, isn't put on this earth just for my benefit. We have to look at the person, recognize her condition, just as Jesus looked at the crowds and realized they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then second, we have to realize that while the other person isn't exactly the same as I am, she's like me. We share a common humanity. 
There's another version of that Buddhist meditation that says, just like me, you want to be happy. Just like me, you want to be free from suffering. I may not have left my home to travel hundreds of miles over dangerous roads and then be arrested in a foreign country by people who don't speak my language, but I've been afraid. And if I stop to think about it, I'm only a few generations away from having been an immigrant myself. After all, if you're born in this country, there are only four options. Either your ancestors were Native Americans, or they were slaves, or they were refugees, or they were immigrants, or some combination of the above. In my case, there were some Lutherans who were religious refugees from Austria. There were some economic refugees from the clearances in Scotland. There were some English immigrants who made the voyage across the Atlantic in hope of a better life. There was even one Irish guy who came to America as a mercenary soldier in the American Revolution. At the age of 14, he played the fife in Lafayette's army, and then he stayed on to become a soldier. But after being a soldier, he stayed on to become a farmer. All of them came to this country before 1783, before there was a United States, but none of them had a visa because this country had completely open borders for the first hundred years. Well, being a descendant of refugees and immigrants myself, it should be easy for me to empathize with people in that situation now. And in fact, it's that kind of empathy, that recognition of a shared humanity that is the basis for much of the ethics that we find in the Bible. To take just one Old Testament verse from among many, we read in the book of Leviticus, the alien who resides with you shall be as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. Why? For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. It's really the same part as uh, goes right along with loving your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat those who are aliens as you wish you had been treated as an alien yourself. And in today's epistle, St. Paul reminds Gentile Christians, like most of us, I imagine, that they are newcomers to the community of faith. Remember, he says, that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember how things used to be for you. But, says Paul, the blood of Christ has broken down the dividing wall and made all one humanity in place of two, Jews and Gentiles together. And then he goes on to say, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. All of us are citizens now in the city of God. But our Christian citizenship isn't the result of our ancestry or our merit or anything that we have done. We are God's children because we have been adopted in the, into the family through the sacrificial gift of Jesus on the cross. Who then am I to treat another human being as an alien and a stranger? Now, I'm not saying that our nation shouldn't set any limits on immigration. I am saying 
that in our words and in our actions, we should respect the dignity of every human being. If I'm gonna share in the compassion of Jesus, it isn't enough for me to see the little girl crying at the border or even to recognize that we share a common humanity and a common history of migration. Those are important, but there's one more step. The last step is that I have to realize she has a claim on me. Jesus saw the crowd as sheep and knew he was called to be their shepherd. The good Samaritan saw the man in the ditch and knew he was called to be the neighbor. I see that little girl crying and I know I'm called to help her and all the others like her because I'm a Christian and that's what we do. So this week, let's practice our compassion. It's a bit like lifting weights or running a marathon. You have to work up to it little by little. We won't get there all at once, but we have to make a start. Practice your compassion muscles. Build them up. When you see someone in pain this week or hear about someone in trouble, think, just like me, just like me, you want to be free from suffering. And then do what you can to help. Compassion has a cost. Pity has a price. Love is no luxury. Wherever people are hurting, anywhere in the world, the compassion of Jesus is medicine for the whole world.